What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, October 24th, 2021, and this week's episode, Breakout Stars Invade Fight Island at UFC 267. We'll start by talking about UFC Vegas 41 and the insane fight week and battle between Paolo Costa and Marvin Vittori. We'll head over to Moscow, talking about Fedor Milianenko getting the big victory against Tim Johnson. And then it is all about fight week previews, the PFL championships, and of course UFC 267 in Abu Dhabi. Two title fights and a stacked main card, so a lot to get through. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Guess what I saw today? I went to Ace Hardware Store, and we haven't even hit Halloween, and the Christmas decorations are already for sale. Like, uh, like to purchase, or like they're already on clearance? No, no, just to purchase. They got okay. their trees up, they got all the lights, and the plugs, and the... I mean, bro, like... I guess I never pay attention to this stuff before. We haven't even had Halloween yet. We still got Thanksgiving. And you're already selling Christmas. Is this is this uh is this to your liking? <laughs> are you outraged like me? The funniest ones I see are the tweets that are like they downsize the Halloween stuff before Halloween is over to make room for Christmas. I didn't even the, know that was people yeah. people will tweet it's like legit, my store has already started putting out less Halloween stuff to make room for Christmas stuff before Halloween. And it's like, yeah, that's when it's gone too far. But I don't know. Did you get your pumpkin spice Cheerios I sent you? <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. I'm, uh, yeah, all, the, all I had was that pan dulce and um, I should go get some though. That seems that is... like the right move before they, they put it away for like pine tree Cheerios or something, you know? Uh, that was the biggest, uh, yeah, I saw that and I'm like, oh, I have to send her a photo of that. It's too perfect. <laughs> but um, Natalie, we had quite a weekend of fights before we get we lose too many subscribers. Um, I want to talk about the drama after because I want to give those 25 minutes that they actually gave in the cage the credit it's due. Because take the controversy out of it, that was probably fight of the year by a landslide, if I'm being honest with you. So I want to talk about it. Marvin Vittori getting the unanimous decision on Paolo Costa. And really, I think the story of this fight was just the gas tank and the errors of Paolo Costa cost him the fight. And first round, Paolo Costa, heavy kicks. It was competitive, but you could just feel, uh, I think Paul Felder said it, when he was landing, it sounds like when you hear fighters hit the pads, that loud crack. Oh, yeah. The body shots. Oh, especially. it was beautiful violence right there. I was like, dang, he is. This is this is what we signed up for. I told you, I think Marvin Vittori's wrestling gets the job done. I'm so glad he didn't wrestle. He probably would have won a lot easier. I'm glad he didn't because we got 25 minutes of carnage. Not the Venom sequel that I haven't seen yet, but, you know, actual <laughs> real life carnage. Yeah. Um, round two, a little more of the same, but correct me if I'm mistaken, that's where we had the eye poke. Yeah. Was it round two or round three? Yeah, uh, I yeah. think it was round two. And I, I got to say, that one was such a close one. That one, I was like, oh, you know, Vittori's starting to pull away, but Costa still started strong. 
And I was like, okay, so we have the eye poke. So at the very least, it's 9-9, if not 10-8 for Vittori, right? And I, I'm, I apologize. I don't have the scorecards. 3-4, and four, Vittori just has better cardio. He's starting to get the better of exchanges. Paolo, he's just throwing noticeably less. That fifth round, oh boy. I, I was impressed. Paolo, you know what? He saved, he had whatever was left in the gas tank and he just hit empty. He gave it what he had. Vittori, that was another one competitive, but I thought, wow, Paolo might have gotten that fifth one. Depending on how we're looking at round two, it was just a very, very competitive fight. Very fun. I'd be lying to you if I said a part of me didn't feel like... I always say the word deserve. I don't like to use it because you don't know about the stuff they don't publicize. But I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel like Marvin Vittori deserved to win at the end of that. But before we get into that conversation, what were your thoughts on this great fight? It was uh, it was a it was a really strong fight for sure. I think that I went into it with a huge bias because of the Paulo Costa weight um, controversy, and so I was just like, man, I hope the Tory just you know finishes him fast and and, and gets it over with. I, I mean, I think probably a lot of people have that feeling during the eye poke. Um, you know, I hadn't seen the warning or previous warning from Herzog. So when he took the point away, I was like, oh, that's, that seems almost like, I'm sure he gave the warning. I just missed it. I My think he is, more like said it while they were fighting. He didn't actually like, you know, like, hey, like pull him right, aside, you know? Explicit, right. And so I was thinking, you know, this is part of the the weight issue, right? It's kind of like you already have an advantage. Everybody knows it, right? Herzog, Herzog's aware, just as aware as everybody else. And so I think he wasn't, he didn't have any tolerance wasn't going to have any give any leeway to a fighter. Usually you see, even after I poke, it's like, hey, if you do it again, I'm going to take a point away. This was immediate point deduction because Holocaust already had advantages. I think everyone was kind of uh, sour on him. So I would say it was a little bit of a surprise that the point got deducted. But I'm glad. I think it was fair considering that it's almost impossible to have gone into that fight without everyone rooting for Marvin Vittori because of, of the lead-up, right? The body kicks, moving on, the body kicks of Paulo Costa were, to me, his strongest um, offensive attack. I don't know how Vittori withstood those. Like, the, the pad, the kicking pad comment that Felder made, uh, absolutely true. They were vicious. And it wasn't just the kicks. He was attacking the body with punches, too. Really nice technique he was using. That was his best effort. The head kick, too? The head kick, which Vittori just walked through. I mean, it didn't even look to phase him. It was interesting, <laughs> is, is a mild way of putting it. It was kind of like, oh, my God, is he a caveman? Like, what? How do you not even, like, shake your head or your eyes don't even cross? I mean... It was like his head almost didn't even reverberate. It, it just stayed still, and then he kept pushing forward. So it was a strong, strong fight. I would have to rewatch it, but again, you know, prefacing this whole this whole take with the bias I had, I thought Vittori won four rounds to one with Paula Costa winning the last round. But yeah, I think three two works works too. Uh, I was surprised and I guess impressed with Paula Costa in the fifth round, as you alluded to, as you mentioned. The gas tank. All of a sudden, he put it into fifth gear. He saved some for uh, for the end there. I didn't think he had it in him. I really didn't with all that muscle, breathing with his mouth open. So 
uh, Vittori, I won't say he's lucky that he didn't get knocked out, but you know, he's lucky or he did, he did well by, by, you know, fighting his fight every round so that at the end, you know, Paulo Costa had to play some big catch up and, um, Look, it was an entertaining fight, but I think, going back to the start of my of my my take here, the bias I had going into it against Paulo Costa made me, like, not regard it the way you set it up as you know possible fight of the year contender. I'd have to go back and watch it again because yes, they were going back and forth, and it was thrilling. But I don't even want to like give Paulo Costa any any part in something that good and so you know uh, i'm being a little silly this I happened a little bit i remember it was when john jones and dc had their rematch and people were like that probably was fight of the year but all the controversy just it ended yeah. up going to someone else i feel like if this fight doesn't get it it's because of this over yeah. let's say Corey sanhagen tj dillashaw which was another good one um we're gonna get a look the bigger conversation is Paolo, so I want to give Marvin his credit. He deserves all the glory out of this one for rolling with the punches. The fact is, the middleweight division is obviously at a standstill until we get a, you know, resolution to Cannoneer, Brunson, and obviously Adesanya Whitaker. Uh, for Marvin Vittori, um, if Whitaker or Brunson or Cannoneer hold the title at the end of the next year... That probably is his quickest path back to a title shot. By the way, if Whitaker were to lose to Adesanya early next year, I think that's a perfect time to make the fight um, for uh, Vittori, um, Whitaker Vittori. I think it'd be great for Marvin coming off of this one. I think Whitaker, you're talking about who has he not fought yet at middleweight. I think that it would just work out. But yeah, the fact is Marvin Vittori, there's no real clear-cut step forward until we actually see the results of those guys do you agree yeah absolutely you know he's in the on the good side of the ufc not that he was ever on the bad side but like you know how they love when people step up out of the blue like um felder or jason or kraus um but but this is another way of stepping up and he was getting props all along you know agreeing to 195 agreeing to 205 so and then the he UFC delivers that performance. And then he does, yeah, of course, right? That's the top it all off. So UFC's not going to forget that. So I dare say that he's going to be on speed dial for anything with having to do with these two fights. And should they both, you know, should they, should it all come to pass if it's already planned, he'll be on speed dial for, you know, next in line. I, I think he's more than earned that. They owe it to him. And uh, oh, Paulo Costa, I mean. I'd be okay if he didn't fight for a while. The guy needs to get his act together. Well, let's get into that. Um, so, yeah, wait and see. On Oh, I want to bring this up. So, you know how they always talk about the American cars versus the Italian cars? Ford yeah. versus Ferrari and all that, you know, muscles versus tuners. I'm sorry, but Marvin Vittori, that was just all Italian muscle. <laughs> you know, like, oh, they're known for all this finesse and... You know, all this Porsche and all the, No, that was freaking raw steel, you know, made in Italy, branded on the on the back of the car. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I want to give him that credit. And he posted a brilliant thing. Apparently, he brought uh, Italian red wine for Paolo and he said that oh. he couldn't find him. So he has to drink it himself. 
Oh my god, that's hilarious. You know what? It's like, you win, Marvin. What, you know what? Just history will remember you on the good side of all of this, you know? Anyway, uh, Paolo. So, uh, I mean, I think disappointed is the general consensus. And um, I think at every turn. So you, we find out Wednesday morning, Marvin says he thinks Costa's heavy. Costa says this, is, this number is from him. To his knowledge, he weighs approximately 211 pounds Wednesday. He knows he has to weigh 185 on Friday. Okay, so you're pulling this on fight. So this is coming up on fight week that you are over 20 pounds of the limit. Remember, he's got to weigh 186. Sorry, one pound allowance, non-title fight. And then you hear, okay, 195. And then, uh, look, there's differing stories. But the fact is, 195 was for sure offered... And then 205 was the final on Friday morning. Thursday night, they said 195. Friday morning of weigh-ins, they leave it at 205. Um, obviously, everyone has their own opinion about it. And we could get into the precedent. But I think what I'll stand by more than anything is that uh, I don't believe that Paulo Costa has the same type of performance under different circumstances. Bluntly, I think if he had cut the weight, his cardio and maybe his durability isn't at the level that it was Saturday at 185 pounds for five rounds against Marvin. Secondly, I think that had they moved it up to 205 with, let's say, three weeks notice, maybe more, something like that, maybe Marvin performs differently. I think if Paolo's fighting a different light heavyweight, he doesn't look as strong as he did because I'll just say it, at that point, you kind of knew you were never going to sniff 185. Yeah. So you are going in. Your body kind of is already geared differently. Wednesday morning, Marvin Vittori is still cutting out the salt and the water and the food and sweating it out. And he even said he, his body felt performing. It, it just felt off. You know, it's a science. And you know how your body is supposed to feel. All the changes he said. Obviously, he showed up, but he felt not the same. Anyway, all that to say, I think for Paulo Costa, you know, I'm going to toss it to you because I think uh, I'll go too long. Go ahead and give me your thoughts. Uh, well, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. It seemed like Paulo Costa just went in there with, you know, the little secret up his sleeve, playing the game for as long as he could until he had to start breaking the news little by little. Uh, never was planning to, because it's, it's like, it's like you're putting Vittoria in a corner, right? It's almost win-win for Costa. He's, He's telling them ahead of time, so it's not like he steps on the scale. And then it's it's in Vittori's hands. And if he doesn't agree to fight, Paulo Costa can say, "Oh, he was afraid of ten little pounds or even twenty little pounds." You know, you know, he just seems like that kind of kind of guy. So he went in there with the with a a secret, uh, and he let it out little by little. And uh, you know, it's just dirty. It's underhanded. And yes, had he actually done what he agreed to do, you know, in his contract and fight his opponent and the weight class that he's a, that he's a part of and that he's you know fought for the belt in at 185, uh, yeah, no question, he wouldn't have been able to hang for five rounds. He wouldn't have been able to hang with Marvin Vittori. Um, and and then to your other point, uh, Marvin Vittori, who was preparing his body for 185 cut, now has to fight at 205. So he's not a bigger dude. He's not, a, he, you know, he's, it's not like Paulo Costa's in there with another light heavyweight. 
He's in there with the guy who was trying to fight 20 pounds under. And so Paulo Costa's success, you're right, is is the success that he had, even though he lost, is tainted because it's not it's not it's not um, a light heavyweight fight that he was having. It's just dirty business. Paulo Costa strikes me as um, a little bit of a, a whiner, no pun intended there, with the wine history. But I don't like it. I don't like it. And I think if I'm the UFC. I have a strong either I have a strong conversation with him and say you can't do this again and if you, and if and if you do we have serious consequences or this weight class is no longer eligible uh, available for you. I get pretty firm if I'm the UFC with this guy. So Dana White did say he's fighting at 205. Okay, like, I period. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um you know Paulo Costa and them they did they said behind the scenes they are looking to speak to the UFC and say, no, this is what he had happening. I'll just say this, and I, I feel bad for accusing it, but at the same time, I also saw Vittori's scrum on in response. Costa, you know, they asked, what happened? Why were you so off-weight? And he said he hurt uh, his bicep or something like that. Oh, that's and, what you thought, that he had an injury, right? Okay, but well, here's the thing. I think if you twist your ankle or you hurt your knee... That is something because then all you could do is sit in the sauna. You can't run with the sweatsuit, the mm -hmm. plastic bags. And Marvin Vittori said it. It's like he hurt his hamstring and Marvin Vittori immediately says, so what, you can't run? Mm -hmm. You know, that to me was like, that doesn't look good. So that's one. Two, I think that Paulo Costa, I think that the situation is why he got away with it because let's just say it bluntly do you see another main event on that undercard when you looked at it let's be honest it was one of those one fight cards oh i see what you're saying could they they had to do whatever it took to make this fight sick yes i, I think yeah, that, yeah. that, we'll that was, i think that card was played a little bit i think also you know uh, people talk about well aspen lad missed weight got quote-unquote rewarded uh nick diaz pulled the similar thing with robbie i'll say this uh, i know that this is always unfair but the fact is we go in knowing life is not fair and adults know this yes conor mcgregor is still a employed ufc fighter despite throwing a dolly your typical prelim fighter you throw a dolly the ufc probably pushes their own legal charges on you Mm -hmm. that's just how it is and look is it fair no but we know how this works right you bring in the money things change okay that's one um i think for paulo costa i think to, for him to roll the dice like this in every way it's a bad look for one i i, I hear that injury and i do think marvin vittori has a point it's like i'm sorry but like you tell me you couldn't run like, you hurt yourself, okay, you can't hit the pads, you can't lift weights. You still make 185 if you're so gung-ho about sticking to the fight, right? Paulo Costa hasn't fought in over a year. I think that's very fair. And then two, just if you're trying to kind of set a precedent, I just felt like the entire thing, his body language, all of this, it just left a sour taste in my mouth. Like... Okay, if you're trying to not let it bother you, I get it. But at this point, really, you just come out with so little credibility if you're Paolo. 
and so it, it the whole thing leaves it for me wondering what is the what does the UFC do and when I say punishment not all punishment is suspensions and fines and all that um and mind you you could read between the lines that a couple fighters have probably been punished over the years but put it this way Paulo Costa at 205 the Paulo Costa I saw on Saturday I would love to see him fight Alexander Rakic I think Jiri Prohashka seems to... The UFC is like Hamza Chemaev hyped about him. He hasn't fought since May, and it looks like he may get an immediate title shot out of... Could be about close to 12 months, right? Okay. Um, I think Costa versus uh, Rokic, that's potentially like a title contender fight. That gets you to the top three right now at 205. That's if the UFC likes Costa. If he is being, quote, punished, you're talking about guys like Jan Kutalaba. Guys who do not have, you know, Dominic Reyes. Possibly guys who don't have a number next to their name. Essentially, you're talking about high-risk, low-reward fights. If you're talking about Paolo. Because this was supposed to be a fight to keep him top three at 185. That's clearly no longer happening. Uh, So... Anyway, that's all my final points on it, how I feel, how the way it played out. But yeah, I think with the reasons and the facts we've been given, it did not feel good to see Paolo kind of react to that the way he did. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. Yeah, it's like the excuse train. I mean, the wine thing was ridiculous. And this one also like, oh, you know, I mean, you gotta look two steps ahead. If you say your arm is hurt, you don't think anyone's going to wonder why you couldn't still run <laughs> or, you know, jump on the, uh, not the elliptical if your arm hurts, right? But jump on the treadmill. He's The man isn't thinking, you know, he's not thinking. I'm sorry, but if you really know it's this bad, uh, 2.11 Wednesday, I'm sorry, but at least just say it earlier. That way you could yeah. both blow the weight and just call it macaroni. Well, yeah, that's dirty. So. Yeah, but instead of the, we got all this, you know, within 48 hours of weigh-ins, it's like, it just wasn't a good look. Uh-uh. Uh, what else can I say? It wasn't a good look. Anyway, I want to talk about nicer things. Fedor Milianenko, I gotta be honest. Did you see his walkout, or do you just see the? Oh fight? no, no, I saw the whole. Yeah, the whole Tim Johnson walkout. What is it? John McCarthy said, you know, he's walking out like a man going to church, and I was like, <laughs> I know, but I kind of wanted, like you said, like that old Republic. Like, yes, I'll say it, Ivan Drago coming out in Russia <laughs> against Rocky. I, I was like, it's Fedor in Moscow in a main event for a major company. You have all the... Ah, and But look, Fedor is going to Fedor. And he came out and he was chill. I'll be quite honest, even with the music, I went back and watched it. I felt more hyped about his LA walkout. But okay, it is what it is. Um, My man... It, I really thought that Tim was going to be a little bit faster. He was going to utilize his reach a little bit better. I was bluntly floored how much he just seemed to choose to stand and just try to wing punches at Fedor. What about you? I was surprised. I wasn't, as I said last time, I'm not so familiar with Mr. Tim Johnson's fights. But, I mean, you just walk, look at the highlight reels and he's someone who charges forward and throws a bunch of shots. So... When I saw them face off after, uh, or yeah, I think it was after the weigh-in or just before, I can't remember. 
you know, you really see how, how stark the size difference is. And I start thinking, oh boy, Tim Johnson, you know, Fedor might be a little bit in trouble here. Uh, tail of the tape, right? They were 30 pound difference. They weighed in. Okay. That's serious. And Fedor comes out with just so much, uh, lightness in his, in his, um, in his movement, you know, just a lot of bounce, quick feet, quick hands, great head movement. Like, you look good. Tim Johnson, yeah, I just kind of stood there. Um, I think in the finishing move, though, he he got frozen. You know, he, he, he ate a left hook like 10, 5 to 10 seconds before the finishing move. That hurt him. They turned around a little bit. You know, Fader threw like a straight. It froze him. And then there was that combination. Boom, boom, boom. And, and he fell, and that's all she wrote. So it's super impressive. Um, but if if you know you're, we're thinking Tim Johnson didn't didn't sort of perform the way we thought he would, yeah. Even when he wasn't hurt, he could have been moving around a lot more. He wasn't. Um, but then once he got stunned, it, it was all it was too late. There was uh, no communication from from brain to feet, so he couldn't move if he wanted to. But um, you gotta also wonder. If all all of the whole you know pomp and pomp and circumstance of it all maybe maybe got him a little bit and so he was a little cold, you know you're in Russia the music the crowd, you come out uh, maybe a little more time to warm up <laughs> would have helped but but Fader wasn't going to give him anything he wanted to put on a show make a point and he did it was it was exciting man and it was cool to see Fedor is uh, still a very scary dude. Yeah, one thing I've heard about Fedor is that um, when people break him down, they're like, he is a lot faster than he looks on TV. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people don't, ex- let's say it like it is, he isn't, he's never been the leanest guy, always has a bit of a bit of a belly, he's never been like a flat abs, six-pack kind of fighter, right. physique-wise. But they said he his ability to get from, you know, Cross that mid-range and connect is deceptively fast if you're watching him just on television. Um, I do think that he looked a little bit better shaped than we have seen him in recent years. Once yeah. again, he wasn't particularly like overly lean like some of the heavyweights, Stipe, but it, it, he looked in better shape. And quite bluntly, I felt like he was just like, you know what, I'm going to just... Uh, I always remember the Mike Perry promo. It's like, I just got these and I'm going to use them holding up his hands. And I was like, Fedor just decided to go out there. He's just going to throw bombs and, you know, Mother Russia protect him. And it did. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, look, it was a beautiful scene. I'm sure, look, he doesn't show a lot of emotion, but even he was particularly smiley after Mm -hmm. that victory. Yeah. Well deserved. Uh, I think that had he chosen to call it a night, that would have been beautiful. But we, we get one more out of Fedor. People are talking about uh, Alistair Overeem, Junior Dos Santos, rematch Ryan Bader, which, by the way, remember, Ryan's still a heavyweight champion. Come on, guys. Yeah. And Fedor's teammate is the interim heavyweight champion, Valentin Moldovsky, who had beaten Tim Johnson, obviously. Um, So I must say it. Let's just make it a big deal. Have Alistair JDS agreed that it's just going to be a one-off. If you really want to stay in Bellator, you got to renegotiate. But, you know, one fight, give him a big fight, and let's just send it all out, you know, for uh, for Fedor. 
and just cash in on it. What do you What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I can't disagree with you there. It's all It's all good for uh, for MMA for the fans and and everybody. So, Fedor Alistair, that would be great. I, I heard him say on um, Ariel Hawani's show, that, and like I kind of believe him. You know, he said, well, you know, through his translator that they showed him. So they gave him some names, and he looked at their records, and you know, Alistair had lost a few, and and uh, the only guy who had had was on a winning streak was Tim Johnson, so that's who he picked. Um, like, yeah, that makes sense, and and if you're just looking at it purely on you know competition base, not market value and spectacle, Tim Johnson's your man. I mean, you know, you're going to be in Russia, and that's all the spectacle you need. So for the next one, probably U.S. Uh, U.S. bound. Alistair, JDS would be great. I, I'm rooting more for Alistair over him. Ryan Bader, that would be interesting to watch. Bader needs a win. Fader wants redemption or, or wouldn't mind redemption. Uh, so so there's some juicy options there. If I'm Bellator, uh, I hope they still have the uh, you know conversations going with, with Overeem and JDS because there's even if they don't fight Fader, like, that's a good place for them to land. I mean, I think the thing about... Fedor and Ryan Bader's like, well, isn't it shocking that you look at it, Fedor's coming off, uh, you know, back-to-back knockouts and Ryan Bader's the one who's two and, you know, one and two and he's been stopped a few times. So Um, I'll say I always wanted that Alistair Overeem, Fedor fight, like when they were both in the Grand Prix and Fedor lost, but then Alistair was champion, and they had Fedor, and it was just this whole, okay, when's it going to happen? Well, it might happen in the tournament, and then literally they both couldn't have gone in more opposite directions. Now is the time. Yep. And I think it'll be just good stuff. I know that uh, Alistair never got to fight in glory. I remember he was going to have that big fight, and then he got injured. I don't think we covered it, but, you know, it happened. <laughs> um but yeah uh, i'm interested i would love it to be in la just because oh yeah i i'm sure they're looking at mohegan sun san jose fedor said he liked chicago i'm sure they're looking at japan remember pride that's where fedor became a star i think he wouldn't mind going back to japan and where he had all those victories so anything could happen but yeah so that was a very fun night in moscow and it leads to easily probably the most high stakes four day, yeah, four day run we're going to have in mixed martial arts of the calendar year in a while. So first off, we have this coming Wednesday, already about 72 hours, the PFL championships. I know the story everyone, the most people care about only is Kayla Harrison. Before we talk about Kayla, what would you say is your top storyline, fight, however you want to break it down, going into Wednesday, outside of Kayla? It's it's Julia Budd's debut, because even if, you know, it's related to Kayla Harrison, so, um, but not directly to her fight that night. Because what I want to see, and I'm sure PFL wants to see, is a really, really strong impressive performance from Julia Budd to hopefully entice Kayla Harrison to stay with PFL. If Julia Budd does some spectacular stuff and, and then it's kind of like, well, Hey, there's this really amazing fighter who is a longtime Bellator champion in your league. Now 
you should want to fight it, right, to prove you're the best. And so I think all eyes are going to be uh, on, as far as the Kayla Harrison story goes, all eyes are going to be on Julia Budd after, obviously, whatever Kayla Harrison does with her fight. Um, Clarissa Shields is someone personally that I'm really interested in. I just want to see how she's grown from the last fight. You know, she won. It was tougher at the beginning with um, with the grappling. You know, she 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 stayed in there. She she didn't get submitted. And then her post fight interview was really amazing, talking about how she's like, I just had to dig deep, and I had I wasn't gonna lose. I wasn't gonna go out like that. So I want to see what improvements she's made. I'm not familiar with her with her opponent, but like anyone who's fighting Clarissa Shields is gonna want to try and take her down. That's her Achilles heel, and probably will be forever, um, despite however much she'll improve in that area. So those are my two my two uh, um, ones to look out for: Julia Blood, Clarissa Shields. What about what about for you? I mean, I think anyone who's fighting Clarissa, I I would be shocked. I know the first thing I do is hands up, chin down, and I wrestle, you know, two days, you know, two times a day, six days a week until the yeah. fight. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, look, I, I'll just trust I remember more MMA than her, to be honest with you. <laughs> but um, uh, I will say I was tempted for Clarissa, but I want to give some shine. Magomed, Magomed Karamov and Ray Cooper the third. Yeah. I mean, when you say that Ray Cooper's carrying around a chip on his shoulder. I mean, look, he he's not exactly... Uh, Stephen Thompson JDS with this glowing warmth about him. I'm sure he's a completely nice guy, right? But mm-hmm. he's got a bit of that Robbie Lawler intensity during fight week, right? He does the interviews. He's here to do business and he brings the damage, right? Love it. Completely get it. Heard he's a family man. Like I said, he's just got that intensity when he's talking about his business. And when you talk about a guy with that kind of explosiveness and he's carrying this around that you know, he said it all season. I want a piece of Magomed. I'll take care of Rory McDonald, which he did. But he's another guy I have on my list. He wants to get that one back from the season one finale. Magomed, injury took him out of the finals last year. He's still the last guy to be. He has not lost. He's just kept on winning. He didn't get to fight for the title, but he's just kept on winning since season one. I think it's the perfect time. And look, I know that... um. We kind of feel like everyone is kind of just like a copy machine of Habib when we talk Mm -hmm. about these Dagestani guys. And I believe Magomed actually is a teammate of Habib also or knows him, works with him. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Let's just say like it is. He carries a lot of those same weapons, tall, rangy, but his ability to get you down and keep you there is obviously the most respected part of his game. I'm looking forward to it. Um, like you said with Clarissa, how has she grown? Um, which uh, I was blank on it right when I'm about to say it. But for the lightweight title with Loik Rodspadov and Roush Manfio, I mean, I believe it's uh, I want to say it's Loik who's the teammate of the two-time champion, and um, so it's like you know, are you disappointed? And the champ couldn't even be happier for him. It's like, hey, it's your turn to win the title now, and I'm like, you know what? That's cool. You know, let, yeah. let, I think there's good stuff like that all around. For sure. <sighs> Let's talk about Kayla Harrison. <laughs> um, so here's what. Uh, okay, let's be honest. More people expect her to win than lose. Obviously, if she were to lose, it would be very. I think that when you talk about a max contract, if you compare it to baseball, football, basketball, 
that would be the only thing that keeps her from a max. I think even if she were to have like a just sit on her and control her for five rounds, I think she's still a max contract fighter, so to speak. I will say this. I don't... Every impression I've gotten is that even Kayla is not impressed with Julia Budd coming to PFL. Right. And I know, I get it. And I'm hearing guys like Ariel Hawani say, you know, what about like one more year of PFL? Do you think the PFL is interested in offering people a one-year contract? <laughs> I'm sorry, but do you, would you offer LeBron, Brady, Mahomes, you know, oh, well, it's a one-season one deal. No, you know, hey, it's man, like it's one year's worth of ratings. Uh, yeah. Okay, but maybe that's a little apple oranges. But my point is like, um, so, but here's the thing. Every company, if you can avoid it in MMA, the point is not to build someone up for somebody else, for the competition. Yeah. So if I'm PFL, it's like, Kayla, it's a three-year deal or bust, you know, and... I know they're talking about pay-per-view and you know that Julia Budd versus Kalon pay-per-view is in their plans and they're probably going to stack the undercard. But I'll say this, every impression I've gotten is that Pia, that Kayla is ready to break up with her longtime boyfriend. And I think that we are under the impression that she's ready to slide into DMs or vice versa. <laughs> and so I'll say this, if we know, if, both sides know this for sure. If Kayla Harrison is going to look at the PFL powers that be on Wednesday night and say, thank you, this has been a great time, I am not interested anymore after all this. I'm sorry. I know you guys have a big deal. You have a bag of money and plans. I'm not interested. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'll say this. I know it may not happen that fast, but if they are that quick and UFC and bellator have talked to her by week's end i fully expect kayla harrison to be hanging out in new york during the ufc 268 fight week i expect her to come out sit in the audience she comes to the press conference and says hey welcome to ufc i fully expect it to move that fast i'm gonna just say it right now wow see i you know that would be exciting i just think about kayla harrison and it's like you know i don't want her to fall into the to the to get hmm, uh what's the word to get like um lured in by the the glitter of and the the grandeur of the ufc because do they really have her best interest at heart can they really offer her the competition she deserves i still you know like it's not even like i think like you look at the roster they still don't have it and they didn't get Julia Budd. Like if they, you know, when we talked about it before, it's like if they get Julia Budd or whoever gets her, whoever gets her is saying to Kayla Harrison, we want to keep you or we want to get you. PFL got her. So what happens if, if Kayla Harrison goes to the UFC? Like it's not that I'm going to say it's too soon to fight Amanda Nunes, but like who's there? Come on. So, so that aside, yeah, man, I would be super excited if she showed up. Uh, at a UFC event and was, you know, all decked out, smiles and talking to the media and, you know, wink, wink, here, here. I want her to have the the best opportunity she can in her MMA career. And there's exposure, there's being able to say you're in the best promotion. That's great. 
but then there's being in another promotion where you can actually have the you know a higher quantity of opponents that are that are good can the ufc find opponents that are better than what pfl and belter have at 145 155 i mean they haven't yet so here's what i my one response to that i, I i've gone on the record i don't think kayla's ever going to fight amanda i think amanda will go to 135 like dc and kane velasquez and mm. they're just going to do run the show in UFC together kind of deal. Here's what I think. Have you do you even remember most of Kayla's opponents outside of uh outside of uh Larissa the, Pacheco. Larissa Pacheco, yeah. I was about to say Taylor Guardado, but I'm like, no, that's the girl she's fighting. I totally do not. Is that really different if she fights similar people in UFC, but she gets to do it on a pay per view? No, you're right, like, man. Like, when they, when they triple stack that card, Kayla Harrison, she's not going to main event over Israel Adesanya, but... No. Co-main event, Kayla Harrison, Holly Holm. Kayla Harrison, Jermaine Durandamy. At this point, Kayla Harrison, Norma Dumont. Possibly for the featherweight title after one fight. Maybe straight up if the Ali and Amanda say, Dana, do it. Uh, the one thing I will say that uh, Kayla Harrison, for all the money and you could talk about the competition, anyone will tell you the UFC allows you to be part of a cultural event that quite bluntly Bellator and PFL don't do. People don't take the day off work to watch PFL. People don't take the night off to watch Bellator. They do that often for the UFC. And being a part of that is something that's hard to quantify in dollars all the time when you talk about outside opportunities. I think that that is enough. If they, let's assume they don't just completely shortchange her. I'm assuming they're going to give her a nice deal, Ali with her manager, especially, and everything else. I think that you put all that together, it's hard for me to say Kayla Harrison wants to be in the smaller pond of PFL at this stage now and also remember she's also doing the aew thing she's uh, yeah. coming to the table with more leverage to get more money straight up and you know with amanda uh, and look worst case scenario she fights amanda nunez i mean isn't that like one outside of nunez shevchenko isn't that the biggest fight to be made nunez harrison yeah yeah like without the cross promotional problem I think it's right there. So all around, I just think it's that's what we're going to see happen. I want to see it happen fast. But look, obviously, we're going to be wait and see after Wednesday. I'm going to go on the record. I hope Kayla Harrison is walking around New York next week. I, I hope <laughs> I run into her at the Starbucks because, you know, that's going to going to be avoiding the cold. But that's another story. Yeah, man, that would be that would be I don't I don't really this word doesn't suit me, but I'm going to say it anyway. That would be pretty baller of UFC and Kayla Harrison is after she wins that belt, that tournament, she pops up and is like wearing her UFC t-shirt, um, you know, uh, shortly after. So, so I mean, <laughs> I just, I'm just thinking like, do you, do you think the UFC really has it in her? Do they want her that bad? Um, is it, is it like she's a big name and we can, we can, you know, we can buy a couple more years of, of uh, you know, I'm gonna back up. She's a huge name, 
and we can build out our women's divisions even, you know, a little more, give them a little bit more life for a few more years. Yeah. I'll say this. When I look at UFC and I think about what they could do with their brand power as opposed to Bellator and um, PFL, I'll say mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, when you look at Bellator outside of Cyborg and Katzingano, there's not any name power left over there. You could Pam Sorensen, but... You know, the hype is just not there for Pam. So you're talking about two opponents there. PFL, who do you got outside of Julia? At least UFC, if you're going to be fighting more of these mid-level, mid-fame level fighters, at least you're getting the UFC push every time you do it. So, Or hey, look, maybe PFL has Megan Anderson in the crowd on Wednesday and now we're having a different conversation. I don't know. <laughs> Let's wait and see. That's what I see. Kayla, we got it. Sorry, I'm thinking about it. Natalie, we have a very big card. I know you guys look exactly the like. We're, the, like we're so similar. Yeah. Natalie, we have UFC 267 in Fight Island in Abu Dhabi. By the way, one year ago today, I was watching Habib in the middle of the night take out Justin Gaethje. <laughs> and let me tell you something. It was still the weirdest experience. It was like watching UFC fights at church. It was so quiet. There's hardly any people. And he wins and you're kind of expecting that big. <sighs> and then it's just like, oh, there's not too many people here. And then you get out. It's like, it's 4 freaking a.m. Anyway, I just want to reminisce That's a little hilarious. bit. I mean, yeah, man, that was amazing. It was so nice. Everyone was so nice on Fight Island. I gotta say, I, I, I am very sad that I'm not able to make the trip this time. So I wish everybody a great trip who's out there. And obviously all the fighters with quarantine and everything else. Because I remember that experience well. Um, let's start from the bottom up. So, um, you know, all right. So real quick one. Hamza Chmaya versus Lee Jingliang. Um, Lee, I'll, I'll say it, he's one of my favorite underrated fighters at welterweight he's just very consistent very well-rounded he just hasn't had that career breakthrough um he had that good fight with santiago but he had his win streak snapped lee is a perfect opponent because when you remember you know hamzad of a year ago and he's getting 17 second knockouts and all that this is exactly the kind of durable opponent to kind of like hey this is no like, lower-ranked guy. This is a guy who's given a lot of fighters problems in UFC. Lee. Hamzat gets the win. Is he still hyped up? Like, does he get back to where he was last August, September, when he beat um, Gerald Mearshart? I mean, I think it would depend how he gets the win. If it's a, a nice back-and-forth that goes the distance, okay, you know, if he wins, was it an emphatic win? If he gets some kind of, you know, amazing finish, then yeah, I think so. If it just goes to decision, it would have to be a barn burner, you know, a war for it to make an impact um, to, if it goes to decision. If he has a finish somewhere in there, then I think it, I think it gets him back in the conversations. I think that um, one of the things, it, it's tough. You only get to be the new guy once, right? And I think that was such a big part of his mystique. I think that if he starts turning in, you know, once again, if he if he does another, he didn't get touched. Like, remember, three UFC fights, he's absorbed less than five punches. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. So it's like, if he does something like that again, then I could see it. But I think right now, when you look at the welterweight division, 
I mean, you got Leon Edwards, Vicente Luque. He's not about to jump in there again, you know, with the hype. I think that he's just in a different UFC welterweight division. So still a bit of a climb. It's not a mountain, but it isn't just a, you know, nice uh, 90 degree horizontal turn, you know? Yeah. It's not flat. It's not just a sidewalk. But anyway, I, I I am interested to see him back. I want to see just how... Will he have any of that mystique or aura anymore? I think that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, The fan favorite fight. You got Islam Mahachev against Dan Hooker. Obviously, we just saw Dan recently. Islam, um, obviously in the summer, he kept the ball rolling. I love this fight. Because I think that Dan Hooker really is such an interesting foil against Islam. Just the clash of personalities and the clash of styles. Dan is so exciting and consistent and he's also well-rounded himself. Really, I think that this is kind of now that conversation. Can Islam replicate his success like Habib against a high-level fighter? Can he do what he's done to everybody else against Dan Hooker, who's proven in five-round fights, who's durable, who can strike with you and can grapple with you, and he comes from a great team, all this good stuff. Been in there with top-level fighters. I, I'm i excited to see it. What about you? What are your thoughts on this one? I, I To answer the question, I think that Islam can do what Khabib has done to high-level strikers. He can do that to Dan Hooker. Um, you know, Dan Hooker's great. He has some exciting fights under his, some a lot of exciting fights under his belt. And this whole New Zealand, you know, COVID quarantine thing, that's like a lot to endure. And he's doing it and he's doing whatever he can to keep fighting. I think it's really awesome. He's a super cool dude. Uh, but but that that wrestling, that, that Khabib, Dagestani wrestling, if you reach a certain level at it, where I think Islam is, it's it's so far un, unsolvable, unbeatable, and you know I don't think Dan Hooker's the one to figure out how to get around it. You know he would have to. I mean there are strategies, there's a game plan. Stay on your feet, you know, in and out. Like don't let him catch you. But the thing is, they always find a way to catch you, no matter what you do. You can have success on the feet. You can land a couple of punches. You can you know. Uh, pivot out Lomachenko style. You can do whatever you, you got to do. Khabib, Islam, these guys always find a way. If they touch you, they climb, they pull, they hold, and it's and it's all she wrote. So, not to get ahead of myself, but I did. Uh, so, <laughs> no, that's, case, cool. that, that's what I predict anyway. Islam's just going to do the Khabib thing which we now we can call the Islam thing because he's the new Khabib and uh, Dan Hooker for all his talents is not going to be able to find a way to keep getting up he might be able to get up once or twice but he's not going to find a way to keep doing it over and over again over three rounds it's too much so uh, I, I agree with you I think that um you know what I would love nothing more than to see that for Dan after the odyssey he was he's been on and I know I can just imagine the kind of letdown, you know, after all the hype. But uh, I'm with you there. I just feel like Islam, I think the biggest thing, I feel like he's not only taller than Habib, but he's also a little bit longer. He's not out there pulling off Adesanya moves on the feet. 
Uh, however, I do think that he is more comfortable sitting on his shots and really getting into a couple more exchanges. I think that really helps because I think that if you're going to surprise Hooker and get these higher level fighters off the feet, it's being able to set them up, make them respect more of those hands. And then you could really, that's when it's like, wait, what am I more worried about? Those split seconds are where they just take you off your feet. And next thing you know, you're on the bottom. And we kind of saw this with Brent Primus against their teammate Islamomedov in Bellator in July. Even when you're working off of your back and you've got a great jiu-jitsu and great defense, it is still so exhausting and so difficult to work with guys at that level. So I think that Islam is going to do what he needs to do. 15 minutes, not 25. I think that really favors Islam. I think that's going to be enough. Unanimous decision. I think he's going to get the job done. Yeah, I agree. Unanimous decision as well. Co-main event time. So not the characters we thought, but we still get Peter Yan. And if I'm being honest, you could make a case that this is more exciting. Corey Sanhagen stepping in a little over a month's notice and even said himself he wasn't gaining weight. He wanted to be ready just in case something happened. It has. I think what I love about this fight is when you think about the arsenal behind Corey Sanhagen, you know, he's tall, he's long, he's not afraid to go flying like an eagle since we're talking about Habib. (laughs) You know, with the knees, spin, uses his height and reach, fantastic. Nobody in a long time has figured out how to get in that really tight, just like a machine guard of pewter, do the damage. You know, even Jose Aldo, I was watching that fight back earlier and, you know, Aldo was connecting, but pewter's just so well conditioned and so durable and so debilitating when he stays Mm -hmm. in your face. Different from TJ Dillashaw, who's looking to wrestle, different from a lot of these guys, I do think that if there's a guy who can just straight up, you know, take away the reach of Corey Sanhagen, it's Peter Yan. Now, Peter's going to have to go through a couple buzz saws and all of the weapons of Corey, but I think that him getting in the face of him, if there's a guy who could do it, Peter Yan is really the best guy to do that. So... Corey Sanhagen, a lot of weapons. Pewter Yawn, possibly the magic bullet. What do you got? Well, uh, we're on the same page. Uh, Corey Sanhagen, so beautiful to watch fight. He's, especially at this weight class, it's like, how does he do that? How, how can he, someone so tall, fight at 135? He, he's, he moves a lot. You know, he goes side to side, sort of like he's warming up almost, you know, just like uh, you would warm up for, you know, some kind of martial arts class. Moving around, moving around. Then he stops and boom. I was watching um, Keys to Victory or something on you know UFC, ESPN, and they were pointing that out how he sort of lulls you into this hypnosis of following him around the cage, and then he stops and goes right through the middle and hits you with something. Frankie Edgar was the knee, right? Yep. So that's like signature Corey Sanhagen. Lots of movement, then using that length to hit you. Uh, using um, the fluidity, the acrobatics to, to, to do something to you. But Pyotrion is like the iceberg, right? Titanic had didn't stand a chance. And even with, the, as you pointed out, the height advantage, the reach advantage that Corey Sanhagen has, Pyotrion just, man, he's just unstoppable right now. I'm glad you brought up Jose, Jose Aldo fight because Jose Aldo was doing pretty well. 
But once Piotr was like, oh, this doesn't hurt me, he would hit Jose Aldo, and his punches were worth like 100 times more points. It's like uh, earthquakes. We just had an earthquake here, actually, this morning on the Richter scale, right? Like uh, a 3.9 versus a 4.0, you think, oh, it's just like, you know, 0.1. Well, no, each point is 10 times stronger than the, the number before it. So uh, 3.9 is 10 times, or 4.0 is three times, 10 times uh, stronger than a 3.9. That's what Peter Young's punching power is like. In the same weight class, like his his impact, his strikes is just, they're just worth so much more. So no matter what Corey Sanhagen does and how pretty it's going to look, sure he'll have success. In the end, Peter Young will not be worn down. He's going to keep pushing forward. I think he's going to be able to hurt Corey Sanhagen. I'm going to go ahead and just say this now. I see a uh, fourth round TKO by Piotr Young. Oh boy, we're we're rolling with that now, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh man, you know what? Um, it's another one of those cases. Like after everything with Piotr, it would be very disappointing to not see him kind of be able to rectify the Aljamain Sterling fight and just finally put it ev- behind everybody, right? And in that way, I feel like. Pewter will come out with a little more intensity. And I think I actually see that being the difference. I think that uh, he's just... I think that Corey's even going to be a little shocked. He's going to try to use this great arsenal. But Pewter's just going to stay right in that pocket that makes it so hard for him to use it. And I'm going to one-up you. I'm going to go third round KO. Oh, I, I like think that, that Corey's going to be moving, the hands get low, and Pewter's going to bring no mercy, and bam! And that was, and that's just that. That's all she wrote. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, the main event, uh, two of the good guys in mixed martial arts going to be showcasing their talents um, for the light heavyweight championship, Jan Blahovich. Five fight win streak beat, uh, knocked out Luke Rockhold, knocked out Corey Anderson, knocked out Dominic Reyes, decisioned um, uh, Israel Adesanya. Sorry, uh-huh. I was trying to think of who else was in there. Jacare <laughs> Sosa, by the way, just in case you didn't want to give him his respect. <laughs> and then Glover Tashira comes back, rallies, chokes out Anthony Smith, comes back, submits Tiago Santos. Uh, 41 years old, I believe, for Glover. And, you know, he's just timeless. You kind of feel like, will tonight be the night where all his age seems to catch up to him? And lately, it's like he's drinking the fountain of youth and he's pulling these wins out like he's 31. Very yeah. impressive. But then Jan Blahovich, he's just putting it together so beautifully lately. He's always been a great technical striker. Long, um, just very dangerous physically. He packs a lot of power. And he's just been putting it together great. And um, I think you saw against Adesanya, his ability, if he wants to, to grapple a little bit. I don't think, I'm not saying he's going to go out there and be wrestling guys, but I think that he introduced the fact that if he wants to try, he can. So I, I just think it's a beautiful fight in terms of both of them and their skill set. What about you? It is. They're They're sort of... You know, not sort of. They're they're pretty well matched. They're not equals, but like in a video game, you'd kind of be like, is this? Um, it's not Ken Ryu. 
but like uh, I don't know, I can't think of. They're a pretty even. They're pretty yeah, even. Yeah, they are. They the are. stats, like when you look at all the bars, like you know, w they all have like twenty stars each, but one has four stars striking, the other one has four stars in the grappling, but they're all evenly matched. Yeah, they are for sure. So this could be interesting. Uh, I think we're gonna see a really diverse fight. It's not gonna be, you know, like just one guy trying to do what the thing he's best at and the other guy trying to do the thing he's best at. These guys are very well-rounded. They're intelligent. They have a lot of experience, especially Glover. But Jan does too. I mean, fighting Israel Adesanya and fighting him, beating him the way he did, that shows a lot of um, maturity, a lot of intelligence, a lot of you know composure. So all these things are super important. And this one's a little tricky for me because I think the biggest factor here is going to be age. And the advantage there goes to Jan. But even though Glover's been drinking from the fountain of youth, I wouldn't say, as you wondered, will this be the night where all that catches up to him? Like, it's not going to be the end of his career. It's not going to be the end of his, you know, this second run of wins. He's not going to get another title shot if he loses, but I think he'll still have success. But it, I think it will be obvious that, like, okay, you're fighting a younger person who's also the best in the division, and that's different than fighting uh, Anthony Smith and Thiago Santos, even though those guys also had title shots, um, you know, in their in other divisions. So, or no, in light heavyweight, yeah, sorry. Um, so I think that's, that's the only thing I can really think of that's going to be the great difference maker. They both have power, Jan seems like the thicker bulkier dude so more power probably in his hands um glover has the mental advantage and i think ultimately jan's gonna win by oh gosh i think it's this is a tricky one for me because i see decision but i also see like you know maybe glover gets hit by some stuff that he just can't handle and that's that that's the end of it so I'm not sure, but I'm going to just go ahead and go with Jan Lehovitz by decision. But I'm a little on the fence there. Oh, my gosh. That I'm going to just pick something. Like, pick like something UFC, up. you never want to be pushed against the fence, okay? Yeah, anyway, yeah. but, um, you know, I, I think for me, I will say that Glover has actually one of the better skill sets to frustrate uh, Jan Lehovitz. I think that um, physically-wise, he's not taller but he's just stockier and i think that when you talk about how glover likes to fight a little bit if he can wear his weight on you if he could get in that close range he's not looking to fight these long you know extend the jab and stick and move and slip and all that he's kind of looking to keep it in sh short and compact where he could do that damage that being said jan blahovich can do a little bit of that and then some and I think that that's really going to be the key is I think that his power has everything if he gets into a firefight with Glover Tashira. I think that Glover is probably going to look to do a bit of setting up the hands, go for a takedown, try to get try to make Blahovich work off of his back. I think, though, that would help if you weren't taking on somebody who has the kind of power and experience on the feet of Jan. I think that Jan, that's just where he likes to fight. I think that he's gotten so many good wins from there that I just see Glover not being able to deal with the physicality. It's when he's trying to 
stick and move and set up shots. He's going to end up uh, eating too many of those from Blahovich, and that's going to be what undoes it for him. So I think that that's just what it's going to come down to. I think that he's very durable. I'm very impressed with what both of them have gone through lately, but I think that stylistically this isn't one that goes for Glover Tashira. I think that Jan Blahovich is going to have a little bit too much pop on the shots, and I'm going to go unanimous decision Blahovich. You know, I think that Glover's going to go out on his shield, but, you know, going to hurt him, going to push him, but not going to be able to put him away after everything. I mean, I like it. We're on the same page. I don't feel so bad about my, you know, my choice now. <laughs> I mean, We're on the, the same page, Double G. I mean, this is another one. It's like, look, after everything Glover has done to return to this point, I mean... It's coming up on like 10 years since he fought Jones. Like, and got, he was on a 25 win streak. And obviously, after a while, it looked like, well, he's finally, you know, starting to hit that top of the hill. You know, know. it's coming. And instead, you have all these guys saying, oh, well, yeah, I can't wait to see what Glover does against Blahovich. It's like, you know, would it be tough to see him not turn that into a UFC championship win? Yes, but. Jan has worked hard to get to this point too it's one of those nights it sucks only one of them could win in particular so but yeah and Natalie can you believe it we get all of this (laughs) and next week we're already back into another triple header I can't believe it I'm stunned Usman Covington 2 Nama Yunus Zhang 2 and then in case that wasn't enough we get Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler what are your thoughts oh boy First, pocketbook, because that's back-to-back pay-per-views. However, I mean, did they give us good pay-per-views or what? Remember, uh, I... Saturdays on free TV. Oh, that's Blahovich. right. That's right. That's free right. We had ESPN a whole conversation Plus. about this. That's right. And never mind. I'm super excited. Uh, no, I was already super excited. But yeah, that's the first thing I always think of. Uh, no, th- these are great. These are great um, fights. Uh, yeah, I'm more excited about UFC 268. But, I mean, that's not... Let's not pretend 267 isn't going to be isn't going to be pretty exciting. Um, so, but yeah, if I have to pay for one of them, if I had to choose, I would choose 268, and they already chose for me, so I'm good. <laughs> um, you know what? Uh, I just you hope that Usman Covington delivers. They've been so chill in the media. They've only done a couple interviews each. Um, you know, I, I just hope they deliver. I, I would like another classic just because I feel like this is another one that it's like they kind of just want to have it to put it behind them and get the bragging right. So mm-hmm. I, I am personally ready to see like Leon and Luque and see if we could see something new happen. But um, I, I acknowledge the last time was a good one and Usman's look fantastic. And Covington really is such a difficult problem for so many guys. So I think it'll be a good fight. And then everything else is really just, it's just a bonus. I mean, you want Rose and Whaley to go. You want Gaethje and Chandler to go long too. So it's going to be a good one. So guys, tune in. We'll be back on Sunday. We're going to discuss everything. We're going to give you recaps. We're going to give you breakdowns. So you're not going to want to miss it. Until then, have a good one.